Hello, this is Black Country Blokes chewing the fat. Listen, listen, listen. I've been hearing a lot lately about men don't talk. But in my experience, men do talk, just people aren't listening. So it's going to be me and a group of blokes discussing our struggles and victories through life. Warning, there may be some bad language, so apologies to all the mums, especially on my own. Let's get going. Listen, listen. I've been yeah. This is the Black Country Blokes Chewing the Fat. Here with me, Kev Dillon, and my partner in crime, as always, Lee Cadman. Now, today we're very lucky. We're joined by Dr. Becky Lewis, John and Elizabeth. So, guys, thank you ever so much for coming on. Um, we'll start with Dr. Lewis. Doc, can you tell us uh, what your job role is, please? Uh, yes. Well, I actually have three job roles. I am a senior partner at a practice in Hales Owen, so I'm a GP. I've been a GP for 17 years. I am the Dudley Integrated Health and Care Mental Health Lead for adults. And I also work as a medical examiner for Dudley Group of Hospitals. That's a role that involves um, patients who are deceased and death certification and the process around that. So I have three different jobs. Thank you. And John, what, what do you do, John? Hi, good evening. Um, so I'm a mental health nurse by training and my current job is as a first contact practitioner. Um, so I work in primary care, I work in GP surgeries. I uh, am lucky enough to work alongside Dr. Lewis um, and I see patients uh, who are experiencing mental health difficulties uh, with the aim of assessing them, diagnosing where appropriate, um, prescribing medication where appropriate, um, offering support for people, a, a chance for them to speak to me and air their experiences, and then signpost and refer on to other services where appropriate. And Elizabeth, would you like to tell us what you do? Hello, so um, I'm a training psychological well-being practitioner so i talk with therapies so i work with people with like common mental health illnesses like depression and i offer like low intensity treatment so that just basically means like your common day-to-day -day have we lost Elizabeth? I think we may have done. I think we've lost her. So, so guys, basically, to everyone out there listening, we've got some very clever people who know this stuff on tonight. And as always, if you've got stuff you want to write in and ask, because I'm fascinated as always, being on our journeys and finding out about all these different conditions and having our own problems as well as loved ones who are going for theirs and sometimes getting the right diagnosis, sometimes having to go through many processes to get the right diagnosis and different medications. So if there is anything anyone would like to write in, please do. But we're going to start, as we always do, with our gratitude list because it's so easy to get swept up in the world and, oh, it's... Like, 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 let's talk about the news. The news at the moment. I remember when we used to look forward to heat waves. You know, when we're there and the, the weather person go, oh, well, make sure you wear suntan lotion, drink lots of fluids, but enjoy yourselves. And all of a sudden, it's the end of the world. You know, it's like people will die. People will die anyway. Just be careful. If you know someone's vulnerable, look after them. But what I'm grateful for, uh, well, I'm doing the baton relay this, this Sunday from the waterfront. What a great opportunity that's going to be. 
all the Lions and all the people I've teached over the years. I want to be out there wearing your Lions t-shirts or your Black Country blokes t-shirts. Getting out there and being proud of being where we're from. Because I'm so grateful to, yeah, being a Batambera, but being a part of the Black Country. League, what are you grateful for? Oh, definitely uh, my family and the, the schools that they're, they're part of. Um, we've had school reports uh, probably the end of last week, start of this week. My eldest has done fantastic. My son, my middle has done fantastic. And my, my youngest, Calla, who's disabled, she's done absolutely amazing as well. It was great to see the comments in there. And, and you get to look back to see how much she's grown over the last year. Because sometimes you don't recognise it when it's when it's happening week by week, these little stages. But yeah, over the years, she's grown so much. And it's brilliant that she has a teacher and TA behind her. It really helps. And Dr Lewis, what, what are you grateful for this week? Well, I'm grateful for two things, really. I think first, I'm grateful for my mother constantly reminding me that she was pregnant with me during the last heat wave in 1976. And this was nothing compared to then. And she was heavily pregnant and how dreadful it was. So she keeps me in check and keeps my feet well and truly on the ground. Um, and I'm also grateful to the fortitude and strength shown by our patients during the pandemic. The way so, that they've become, they've been so resilient during a pandemic. And I'm really grateful for that, really, because, you know, it's meant a lot to us, I think, in healthcare services. So thank you to our patients. And John, what are you grateful for? Do you know what? I was reflecting today when I was driving home um, how grateful I am to have a job that allows me to help people for a living, uh, which I consider to be a privilege. Uh, it's not always the easiest job in the world, um, but there are times when you, you take the time to sit back and reflect um, that it's quite a special thing to be able to do that for a profession. It is wonderful. Like, I work in the volunteer sector, and you know when you're making a a person's life better and i've had people who've uh, won aba titles box for england but you know when you've made a real difference in someone's life that's amazing isn't it john it really is yeah um and it can be the littlest things of, of talking to a patient this afternoon who, who just said i'm really grateful you've really helped me just the opportunity to talk things through with you has made all the difference and it was just as simple as that. Nothing earth-shattering. There wasn't any great revelation or, or breakthrough. It was just being there for someone. Um, and so, and so, I think sometimes when you, when you do this kind of work day in, day out, you can sometimes forget. You don't recognise the, the impact you can have on people's lives. Is, is Elizabeth there again? I'm here. Can you guys hear me? Yes, I can hear you, Elizabeth. Sorry We're just doing about that. that. <laughs> no, it's fine. We're just doing our gratitude list. Just, you know, because sometimes we get swept up in the world and where yeah. was me? And, oh, I never get picked. And, it, it, you know, and, you know, I was getting wound up earlier. A, a little yeah. story. Someone keeps stealing, my, you know, my green recycling bags. Someone keeps pinching. <laughs> and all day I've been going, bloody hell, that's got it. And then you have to stop and go, it's a recycling bag. Yeah. But it's. It's so easy to go down the rabbit hole and go, oh, oh, I'm going to kill them. I'm going to fall out with them. I'm going to... It's a recycling bag. What does it matter? Mm. So what are you grateful for, Elizabeth? I think one of the things that I, I kind of reflect on daily is my family, but mm. I think especially my two sisters. I think they are like my backbone. Mm. I think sometimes I think 
if I didn't have my sisters, then I just don't know how I would have like navigated through life. Mm. I think that having that just support and having a good relationship with your family is is something that I I cherish a lot. I um like with mental health, and I want you all to chime in and. It's, this is your right, so you steer it. I'll just keep throwing things out there. But if there's anything you like, would like to say, please jump in. I know it's a bit di- uh, more difficult when it's digital. But I know with mental health, it can affect anyone at any time in any community. And I always say that to anyone about anything. Because so many times we hear, this doesn't happen in my community. This doesn't happen. It doesn't happen to people who have got mom and dad. It doesn't happen to wealthy people. It doesn't happen in Asian communities. It doesn't happen in travelling communities. It can happen anywhere, but I I do find when you've got a care network around you, it can make it easier in some ways and more difficult in some ways. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would. Um, I find that sometimes, depending, I think, for example, if I talk about my background, um, coming from like the black community, um, you can say that a lot of people would have like, a caregiver whether it's like a mom dad cousin etc but there is a lot of a lot of stigma around within the black community when it comes to mental health it's not something that is always easily spoken and i think there could be a lot of misunderstanding on how you can communicate your your um your worries or concerns when it comes to mental health so even though you may have that support support network you can have people that you can lean on to for support it's not necessarily um, you don't always necessarily have the space to be open and to be vulnerable and talk about mm. your struggles and things that you're going through because there's a lot of miscommunication of what mental health is or it's a taboo or something that we don't necessarily talk about. Well, we had uh, one of my ex-boxers, two-time national champion, who's from the travelling community, and he was very brave coming on and talking about his mental problems, anxieties and all this. Because once again, in his community... They're men's men, they're hard-working, they haven't got time to namby-pamby problems. But once again, this is why we love this podcast, because it's it happens everywhere. Yeah. And it should no longer be in the shadows. If we can't talk about it, then the cycle will continue. And we don't want our children to be going through the same stuff that we've had to struggle and get on with. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think if you... If you look at the news recently, I mean, we've had elite athletes talking about their mental health, haven't we? Yeah. Um, and I think that there is sometimes a perception that, that mental health issues affect certain members of our community more than others. Mm. Um, I don't think that's true as a GP. I, I, think, I think there are different mental health issues depending yeah. on maybe which part of the community you come from, your support network. But what I hear a lot in my practice is when I say to to somebody, well, why haven't you, have you spoken to anybody about this? No. And I say, why? And they say, because I didn't want to worry them. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's... So it's it's not just about recognising that you necessarily have a mental health need. It's about having the permission to feel that you can speak about that. Because I hear this a lot, and I, I hear this a lot from some of my teenage patients, they don't want to talk about it because they don't want to worry their parents and they feel that their parents have enough on their plate already. They feel that they will be judged. They feel that they won't be taken seriously. And I think 
that's quite a powerful message really um and, and i i'm glad that i think generally in society we are moving towards more of a, a of a permission to speak about mental health and it doesn't matter what walk of life you come from it doesn't matter what religion you are the color of your skin where you were born your social circumstances I do think we have moved a long way towards saying it's okay to talk about my mental health. It's okay to ask for help if I need it. I don't think we're fully there yet. I think we've still got a, a way to go, but I do think we're better at it than we used to be. Do you find that um, more men, is, men in particular speak, uh, seeking help now from yourself? Yes, Brilliant. definitely. Definitely. So hopefully something something that's happening, our podcast or the podcast out there, people talking is is um is making men wake up a bit more and realise they don't have to sit in silence and stuff suffer. Mm, yeah, I, I do. I, I really feel that there is more of a permission for any member of our society to come forward and say I'm struggling. I still think we need we have some hard to reach groups that we need to do better with, but I do think overall things are better than they were when i certainly started as a gp a gp definitely mainly do public speaking and we went down and we were uh, on site and we were talking to bricklayers scaffolders sparkies chippies and we were talking about our life story and we're good at engaging because we're average day joe's just a bit more honest and then lee said go and get a coffee go and get a cup of tea and they didn't move because you could see they were dying to talk and these the, these are guys on the trowel next to you and occasionally you get someone who's brave and they talk about a suicide or a depressive or whatever happened but you see people going wow you as well or wow and it, you can see they're dying to talk but they haven't got the courage at that particular moment because myself included when i started being open our first couple of podcasts i was thinking oh god everyone's going to tease me everyone's going to think less of me oh What's going to happen? And it's quite the opposite. Once you open up them floodgates and you read, and people go, well done, me too. And then it opens so many doors of conversations, doesn't it, Lee? Yeah, well, that's one thing it's certainly done. And it's open conversations within my own family, which um, is one of the proudest things that, about me doing this podcast is that I feel now that there's, there's members in my family where we wouldn't talk about it. And it's now an open conversation. If, if someone is struggling, they, they can come to us. You know, they, they don't have to go out on a podcast and speak about it. They can come to me, family, and talk about it. And I think all that helps with in terms of uh, GPs and, and taking up your time if people do have a supportive system. Now, the work, the, it might get to a point where it, it needs a GP intervention for medications and things, and things like that or referral to someone who is qualified. But... It also means that someone, someone else, someone within the family can hold their hand and walk them through that door. Yeah, I think it's having that fundamental acceptance that it's okay for everyone, including blokes, including black country blokes, to put their hand up and say, I'm struggling here. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, and, and, and thank you, John. I, I think that's a really a good comment. Is there, you know, I... I can reflect on a, a bit of a sort of a funny tale when I went out for a curry one many, many moons ago for a curry. I like curry. <laughs> and I was sitting with my family at the table having a meal and the table next to us was a family of, of I think they were friends, older adults. And do you know what they were talking about over their meal? Their bowels. 
Oh, wow. People occult blood tests, bowels, GPs, having cameras stuck up their behinds. It, I just was sitting there and my mother was saying, I can't believe this. I don't, I can't believe it. But nobody ever does that about mental health. Yeah. You don't ever hear anybody in a curry house going, I had to see the psychiatrist this week or I needed to see my GP to go on antidepressants. So people are quite happy to sit in a curry house talking about their bowel habits. And I think, again, this is where the gap is for me. You know, I'm not trying to say that we, we should necessarily be doing that, but we should be in a society where it doesn't matter whether you're talking about your bowels, your verrucas or your mental health in your curry house. It's OK um, because it's just part of being human and it's part of you know if you're ill you're ill and you should be able to talk about it freely without worrying that somebody's going to judge you um, that that was quite powerful to me because i thought i would never hear that conversation about mental health in a curry house i think the stigma is like whether you have um postnatal depression or whether you start having anxiety attacks or depression i think it's the fear of losing everything it's not the it's the fear of admitting that i have a problem but it's the fear like postnatal depression or it's they're going to take my babies or they're going to i'm going to lose my job and i think it's the fear that's attached with the stigma of mental health that holds a lot of people back from yeah. addressing the problem yeah, yeah I, I i agree with you and, and i think i think we we as a as a society in as a whole we're getting there slowly but surely but there's still remnants of stigma around anything to do with mental health and that's part of the battle that, that we're engaged in really yeah. is is and you know I, I often speak to people who say i'm not telling my employer about this yeah. I'm, i don't want them to know about it who knows what they'll do and and you know we have to keep pushing forward and one of the reasons i was so keen to come on and, and join the podcast uh when dr lewis mentioned it was th this is exactly the kind of forum that helps to break down those barriers yeah elizabeth is there something you'd like to say yeah just to um just to touch upon what john said i think i think fear is so powerful that it really stops people from moving um from moving or speaking up or just accepting i think once we're able to kind of challenge our own fears our own beliefs about ourselves or mental, our view on mental health it can help break that stigma and it kind of it kind of gives you that sense of release like okay this is what's this is what's going on with me i need to i need to speak about it i need to find that trusted person to be able to be open and kind of seek support but when fear gets in the way it, it stops people from seeking help for months even years um until it gets to like um a, a breaking point where it's more like if I don't seek help now, then I don't know what's going to happen. But the more that we can, the more that we normalize mental health and it's not, and debunk that, oh, mental health is for this particular person. Mental health is like, it's like on a spectrum. You can go from a good day to bad day. It's, it's, it's normal. Um, so once people have more understanding of that, I think we can move in that direction of being able to kind of um, spread that awareness that, you know it, it can happen to anyone at any time um and it's okay and you know it doesn't make you less of a person it doesn't make you um um a person who doesn't have courage or who's not bold it you're still yourself it just means that you're going through a difficult time and sometimes it's okay to kind of get help and just to 
seek support from another person. Before we go into like a, a typical thing, whether I go into the GP, then go to John, then go to Elizabeth, I'm just going to ask you a question. The, the power of fear. So at the moment, we are bombarded with fear. And I keep saying the problem with peace is if my, if my belly's full and I'm warm, what are you going to sell me? But fear, uh, my daughter's going to get bullied unless I wear an iPad. My wife's going to leave me unless I take her to Barbados. I've got it. And like with the heat wave, we've got to be frightened. COVID, we've got to be frightened. And I mean, I've had all my jabs, so I'm not a conspiracy theorist. But the news and the social media and just got everyone that frightened. And I mean, I, I, we didn't leave the house for like six months. My wife was doing the shopping for my, my, my neighbor, my mother, my mother in law. And then she's coming back and bleaching herself on the doorstep. Because it's not that long ago from the start of the plague, which we all believed it was. And before the pandemic, life was stressful. Then we've had two years of sheer and utter fear. Then we've got Ukraine. Then we've got, I don't know, air, uh, the politics. And it can't be doing us that good, can it? Just this amount of fear to the human brain. I'll start with John and then I'll work my way around. Would you agree with that, John? I would, yeah. And there seems to have been one thing after another after another the last three years or so, doesn't there? And I, you, I think you do see it with people that they've been feeling under stress um, for such a long period of time. And stress is, a, is an everyday part of the human experience. Being Having some stress in your life is natural and it's actually good because it keeps us active and motivated. When you have too much stress over too long a time, it overspills and then you've got problems. Um, and just to pick up on one thing that you said about the news and social media, I think our exposure to 24-hour information um, and news feeds and social media and all the rest of it, um, it can be not very helpful for people's mental health. Definitely. Uh, well, just, just before I go to Elizabeth, then over to Dr. Lewis, like, I, as a mental health, growing up, stress was the only thing I ever heard from blokes. That was the only mental health I ever heard. Because a man could die of stress. It means he was a hard-working bloke. But to admit he was having anxiety attacks or depression or OCD or bipolar, that was just cuckoo land. That was, you know, take him off the loony farm. But a man could die of stress. Because that gives you ulcers, that gives you a heart attack. But that means I'm an hard-working bloke. Yeah, but stress is more of a of a cause, yes, than, than a than an actual mental health presentation. Stress will lead to anxiety and/or depression, for example. But do you agree with that, though? Stress was something you you heard a lot about from men and from women, but you never heard about why he was yeah. drinking so much, why yeah, he was having a little blue tablets, why. He was sleeping on the couch all the time. We, we didn't know. It, it wasn't talked about, was it, in the 70s, 80s, 90s? It was stress or he's having a turn or he's having a lie down. I think, I think stress was became a kind of coverall term yeah. for, for anyone who was struggling with their mental health uh, in all sorts of different ways. And I hope now that we're gaining a better understanding of different kind of varieties of mental health problems and a better understanding of what people experience. Um, so, but yeah, I think, yeah, stress was was kind of an acceptable term. It became that coverall term um, for, for a variety of different problems. Elizabeth? 
Yeah, I totally agree with with John. I think um, I think stress was very much of a cover up. Um, I'm I wasn't born in the 1980s, not to reveal my age or anything, but um, wow. I definitely <laughs> <laughs> even like in the, even in the if, if if we see in our films, our movies that we watch, um, things is very much stress, stress, stress. Oh, he's just stressed out at work, or he's just having a hard time, but realistically it is um it's it's um it's a long it's not just stress now it's it's that's picturing anxiety that's picturing depression but you know our the media will portray it as stress especially for men because it's something a bit more acceptable and what how a, a man's portrayed he's the strong person but stress is something that's it's okay we can we can we can we can see that he's stressed but he's he's still he's still john john's still good he's he's still the lads lads but when unless it's kind of debunked or unless it's kind of um observed a bit more deep deeply then we can actually see that you no know, john's actually kind of presented with other um other issues like anxiety but men have such a good way of covering things up so they will just say it's stress and they won't say it's anxiety or i'm having panic attacks or i'm experiencing depression because stress is more of a it's it's kind of seems to be a more of an acceptable term within society but i think it, it, over the years it has definitely changed and has gotten better but there's still a lot of work that needs to be done and it's like with people now say, well, I don't want to go on anti-anxiety. I don't want to go on antidepressants. But what they will comfortably do is self-medicate with yeah. alcohol, cannabis, cocaine, uh, ecstasy, whatever it is, because that that's, an, in their mind, an acceptable poison. They, they will drink to relax. Then they'll use cocaine to talk about the problems. And I will say that people... A lot of men don't talk unless they've had eight, ten points or a couple of bags or whatever. And then you'll go, um, Lee, you were talking some real deep stuff last night. You go, oh, don't worry about me, I was off my head. But really, what they're trying to do is talk, but it's giving them the, the Dutch courage to communicate. But they've also got the, ba- the back air claws are going, oh, ignore me, I was just being silly. Do you find that, Doc, uh, Dr. Lewis, because you used to work in drug rehabilitation? Well, I think, I mean, I think if we go back to the concept of stress, I mean, stress ultimately is a concept, isn't it? Because different things will stress different people out. Uh, and we, some people seemingly have much higher tolerances to stress than other people. So I actually think that stress is a little bit of a, of a dustbin term mm. because it's pretty meaningless. But what matters to me is when stress becomes distress, when people stop. Sorry, there's lots of feedback. I can hear lots of feedback. Is that somebody's microphone? Um, is when is when stress becomes distress and people stop functioning, and they start self-medicating, because stress to me is a term that is you. It's a, it's a cover-up, isn't it? It's a bit like when when people say to me, oh, "I've got a touch of the flu." Well, no, you haven't. You've either got the flu or you haven't. Uh, but it, it's a common term. It's used every day. And and I think going back to our comments about um, about the, the overload of information, you know, let, let's be honest here. Human beings run on chemicals, not electricity. We need rest. We need hydration. We need sleep. And we need to turn off our brains. But unfortunately, with the availability of information as it is, you know, uh, YouTube, Instagram, news apps on their phones, etc. We never get that. And human beings have a certain 
cognitive capacity. We can only ever make a certain amount of decisions in a day. We can only absorb a certain amount of information in a day. A bit like if I have a conversation with one of my patients. Let's just say, for example, I'm giving bad news to a patient. I will say to that patient, I will give them the bad news, but they will only absorb a very small fraction of that because they're cognitively overloaded in their brains. They can't take it all in. They will need another consultation to take that in. That's human beings. That's what we are. That's who we are. And when you're bombarding human beings all day, every day with information, information, which involves fear, it involves anxiety, it involves statistics, it involves um, bad news, catastrophizing. I mean, let's say, let's, we've all seen it even today about the heat wave, haven't we? The roads are melting, the airports are shut, where it's all a disaster. When you bombard people constantly with that overload of information and they cannot filter it, and they cannot quieten themselves down from it, and they cannot turn off from it, and it's everywhere they look, it's not a good thing for human beings because we can't cope with it. It overloads our brains, and, and that is not a good place to be at all. I can relate quite a lot to that, um, Rebecca. Um, as part of my daughter's condition, I get we get bad news. Unfortunately, it is it's kind of part part of the course. She has a life limiting disability, and there's been many times I've been within a doctor or or, or a specialist, and and they've told us some bad news, and it does it it very much. You, you kind of hear the news, whatever it is, and then you don't really hear anything after that. And then I will walk out there, and it'll be half an hour late. I think. Oh my god! I've got loads of questions to ask. You know, I've got loads of things that are now now I'm, I've kind of processed it and it's gone through my brain. I've got loads of questions that I need to ask, and I'll give a tip for anyone out there: just write them down and drop them in an email. Is the best way yeah. I found to do it with and and get yeah. your questions asked. And and I'd say, depending on the news, try and stay clear of um, of googling those questions um, because it's yeah. everyone is very very different in this world. So one condition will affect certain people in different ways each person in different ways so yeah and, hu and human beings need time to process information that's important to them and relevant to them and unfortunately in the modern world in the society in which we live in we don't get that time to process because by the time we've looked at one piece of information there's another one and another one and more and more and more and and it's the same with things like i mean i don't want to go off on a tangent here but it's the same about work, isn't it, with emails? You know, how many people will check their emails on holiday? Yeah. Well, I've done it, but I yeah. shouldn't. Mm. But because the temptation, because you're there, you've got your phone, you've got the internet, you think, oh, I'll just check because if I don't, I'll have 150 emails when I get back. And actually, it's easier to just check. Them. But that's, you're not turning yourself off. You're not, mm -hmm. you're not removing yourself from the situation. You're not allowing yourself that time to say, this is my time. And it's okay that it's my time and I'm going to relax, I'm going to chill out, I'm going to switch off, I'm going to think of lovely things. We as human beings, in some ways, are our own worst enemies with that because we're so busy looking at all this information and wanting to, what is it, I think is the, is the term, is it FOMO, fear of missing out? Mm. That hooks people onto this, I've got to keep looking, I've got to keep looking. And, and some, in some, t some ways, I think we all need to take a step back and say, look, is this information relevant to me? Do I need it right now? Do I need to know it right now? Probably not. So let's put the phone down. Let's go and eat a meal with the family. Let's go for a walk. Let's have a nice bath. You know, let's just switch off. And we're not we we're not very good at that anymore. And I think we're getting we're going to get worse at it as the generations come along because um, yep. 
you know, yeah. we, me, Kev, definitely in the generation where before mobile phones, you know, they're really they were only they're only available to average Joes, for one of a better word, when we was, what, 16, 17? So we'd had a good 70, 16, 17 years without any kind of mobile device. You had a house phone. But that was a that phone, was it. wasn't it? A yeah. mobile phone. It wasn't no Yeah, well, that's it. Internet. You couldn't get your internet on there. You couldn't get TikTok. So, so yeah, um, and I think as these generations come, come through, that problem is just going to extend and go further and bigger. I think when I was a kid, I was and a teenager and a young man for that I'm that old that the, the internet wasn't around even then um, I was blissfully unaware of so much um, going on there was no social media for me to compare my lifestyle with other people and worry about whether you know how good I looked or whether I had the right car or the right clothes or the right this that and the other and I also wasn't bombarded with news 24 hours a day, which, let's face it, tends to be bad news. Yeah. And the world seems like a pretty catastrophic place if you just watch news feeds all day. Um, I, remember, I remember driving up up to the work. My mum was driving me up here and listening to, I don't know, Black Country Radio. And on the news, it was a house had burnt down in Glasgow and killed the child. Mm. And I thought, as tragic as that is for that family... Why have I got to hear about it in the black country? Why have I got to hear about that sad news in Glasgow? It wasn't, you know, to that family, it's the biggest, worst news they'll ever have. But it's like they had to fill the news with a bit of sad news. Mm-hmm. It couldn't be uh, the fireman saved a squirrel from the tree or, you know, <laughs> something like Bob Dylan has just got a medal for cutting the grass. Yeah. It can't be, we can't fill the news with good news. It has to be tragedy. Yeah. And when you, when you, when you watch that, you go home, you watch EastEnders or Coronation Street or Hollyoaks, then you watch the news, and it's just sad, 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 sad betrayal. And that becomes our our, our mental diet, doesn't it? Yeah. It does, but but I think what's important to mention also is that I think the the flip side to the internet, and I'm hold my hands up here, I am not on Facebook, Instagram, my colleagues at work laugh their heads off at me because I just don't have any of this stuff. It is that the, the constant portrayal on social media of the perfect life. Yes. Yeah. Everybody has to have the perfect life, whether that be the perfect face, the perfect body, the perfect hair, the perfect house, the perfect marriage, children, relationships, car. It doesn't matter what it is. So we're constantly bombarded with this vision of this is how your life should be. Mm-hmm. And if it isn't like that, there's a problem. Yeah, and I think personally, as a GP, as an individual, as a human being, that is very damaging. It's very toxic because life isn't like that. Life has its ups and downs. Sometimes you have difficulties. Sometimes you don't. Mm. Things don't always go to plan. But but this constant portrayal of perfection in the media, on the television, websites, social media. I personally think that that in itself is also very toxic because it totally distorts the the vision, the reality that people look at every day. And if you're you're feeling a bit down, if you're feeling a bit vulnerable, if you're having a bad day, you don't want to see that. It just makes you feel worse because you're looking at that thinking, why isn't my life like that? Why can't I have that? And I really, really feel that's why I don't engage in any of this kind of stuff. It's really quite toxic. And damaging, and I really, really wish that our teenagers, particularly in our children and young people, were not bathed in this every day because it's really harmful to them, in my opinion. 
Well, it's, I think I'm, that's very true, but I think we also have to realise the the influence because we wouldn't be able to do this podcast now with you with you great people and mm. and spread our message of actually you can get help with the mental health. Men can especially get help. You can talk if it wasn't there as well. Uh, it's just about moving it to that kind of realism instead of going this is you know your life has to be perfect all the time. It's about getting people using it and getting people engaged who. Well, no, this isn't life. This is life. You're going to go through ups and downs. You're going to have hard times, but you're also going to have great times. You're going to have times where you laugh, smile, where everything in your life actually does feel really perfect. But Elizabeth, I'm going to pass it over to you in a, in a second because by the same view, you're a bit younger than us, and I'll, I'll talk <laughs> how it's affected like growing up with social media. But something that you touched on then, uh, Doc, was. Um, like the idea of being perfect. And I bet you see it as a GP. And me and my daughter, my daughter's six, we were watching TV, daytime TV, and it was cosmetic surgery in the daytime, breast implants, uh, lip fillers. But And I was thinking, daytime TV, talking about changing your body to be perfect. And I, I think it's so mad. All of a sudden, you see so many people with um, plastic surgery and going to Turkey or going anywhere to have what they perceive as um, perfect. And in the long run, it's it's a lot of damage for people, isn't it? It is. I, I definitely agree with that. Um, I think for me, um, I've, I've seen like the very, very early stages of social media. I think when I first got my first phone, my parents were still quite boundaries with how much access I would get on my phone. But even then, there wasn't things around like Facebook. It wasn't until later, a couple of years later, I went to secondary school, then I had access to like Facebook. But even then, I, my parents were quite boundaries in terms of how much time I would um, go on the internet. I would like go to the internet cafe and like use 50p for 30 minutes to go on Facebook. And that would be it for the day. But Fast forward 10 years later, you, you have access to Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, even things like TikTok now 24-7. Um, and you have seen that things when it comes to cosmetic surgery, that was something that you would only see like celebrities do or if you had so much money. But now, in the, I would say in the last, I would say for me, in the last like three to four years, you are seeing your day-to-day -day people, people you go to work with, people you um, see on the bus, like your day-to-day -day average people getting cosmetic, it's, um, cosmetic surgery. It's become more accessible to our, our, our society now. So you will see when it comes to things around mental, there's, there's um, things around mental health. A lot of people are suffering from body dysmorphia, even from the age of under 16, because of what so social media has portrayed in our society. And as much as it talks about the, the, the complications of like cosmetic surgery, it also talks about, oh, um, the beauty of it. And if you do this, it's gonna make you feel so confident. So people attach, um, cosmetic surgery to confidence now so it can make someone think oh in order to increase my confidence and to save this amount of money and i'll go to this country i can just do this and then that also basically just means um i'm beautiful now and if you see over the years the beauty standards has changed so much and it's increasing every single day so one minute lip fillers will be in in trend and everybody will do it and then tomorrow it would be um tightening your skin so it's is 
it's a very 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 toxic relationship when it comes to social media and cosmetic surgery and that's how much um damage is doing into our young people as well mm. and if someone's not really grounded within themselves someone who doesn't really know themselves it can be easy for them to get swayed even when they are in a place where their mental health is more stable it can be easy to get so because that lingering thought of it would be nice to maybe just you know just get a bit of botox mm. or just to tighten my chin those lingering thoughts will come yeah and i think i think the other thing as well that's important to remember because <clears throat> because of the theme that we're talking about tonight this also affects men oh yes yeah i think for years and years and years we've always assumed mostly it's women Women worry yeah. about their weight and their skin tone mm. and their hair colour and their eyes and eyelashes and we all wear makeup and all this. But it affects men. You know, it affects men's body image when they see that everything, every image they see is of men with very well-developed muscles, very little body fat. I mean, I read somewhere recently that the use of anabolic steroids is rocketed because mm. men are trying to get this bulked up physique so it's not just about women it's about men as well mm. and again it, it knocks your confidence you know maybe yeah. if you if you've got a bit of a bit of acne or your teeth aren't as nice as you want them to be or you've got you know your hair is is not as thick as you want it it affects men's confidence as well as women and i think sometimes we overlook that we assume it's all about women yeah. and their I, i've i've suffered myself from body dysmorphia as a young mm. man and mm. uh, all the way to lift i used to Oh, the fat kicks had to go on steroids because of my eyes. So I lost the weight and then I had this thought of I'm either too fat. And I could walk past the mirror three times. So I was either too fat, too skinny. And it wasn't until I really got my wife. And now I'm a fat git and I'm, I'm, I'm happier now than I ever have been. You know what I mean? Because I'm happy as Kevin Dillon. But as a young man in my teens and 20s, I, I hated the way I looked. And running a boxing gym, you see a lot of body dysmorphia because you'll have, uh, in boxing, you're, you're always having to watch your weight. To compete at the right weight and you'll see naturally slim lads and they'll say i'm not happy being 56k i want to go up to 75 so they start lamping the weight or trying to get into steroids and you say look you've just got to realize what kind of dog you are a poodle can't be a staffy a staffy can't be a great dame there's nothing wrong <laughs> with being what dog you are but don't try and change yourself be proud of being that dog and i've seen it so much over the last 10 15 20 years of i thought i was the only one and when, when you, I always say the best friend of any mental health is loneliness, you always feel like you're the only one going through it. Yeah. But then you see so much of it. And as, as I was growing up, the only people who had a six pack was athletes. Then it was Peter Andre. Now the bloody window cleaner on EastEnders has got a six pack <laughs> and perfect eyebrows. So, you know, it's become that role reversal of very manscaped men. And then the old bloke blokes, it's where do we fit in? And it, it's become very weird times, hasn't it? Yeah, and you hit on something there, that phrase you used, that when, when you, you're now happy being you. Yeah. Isn't that an important point, that in the context of all the stuff that we've talked about, about social media and the pressures that people feel, particularly younger people, I do think, we need to engender that attitude that I'm okay as me. I'm not perfect, but I'm okay. But that's, 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 I think that's quite a powerful thing for people to, to sort of consider, really. That you don't have to live up to some impossible standard. You don't have to constantly compare yourself to other people and, you know, famous people on the internet who always look glamorous and their lives are wonderful. 
you can you can work on yourself be happy with yourself and your loved ones it's really important and i i think that comes from age where you start i, I remember as a, as a teenager you think the kids you at school with or college they're gonna be your best friends and you'll be best man at each other's weddings and you'll do everything together and you'll always and then you you find someone if you're lucky enough and your friends don't come fewer and fewer, but you see your friends less and less. You go out for the special occasions, you phone each other every so often. Because you live for your partner, you live for your children, you live for your family. Or if you're on your own, you live for being yourself instead of being what. Because I always think how many opportunities you miss because your peers didn't like the person or they didn't like the hobby or they didn't like the job. And if it wasn't for them, you'd have done more. But you're too frightened of losing your tribe. And it's not until you create your own tribe or a higher being of yourself that you think, I don't care. I yeah. don't have to do this. And I think that's been exacerbated by the social media that we've been talking about because people are scared to go out and do something because it will be all over the internet and people will be gossiping, gossiping about them. It's, it's really unhelpful. Be yourself live your own life. Well, I always say, John, you're old enough to remember the like, the pubs before camera phones, where you'd go in on a Friday, you go in the next Saturday thinking, oh my God, everyone's going to remember that I was dancing to the Dolly Parton and I had my kegs down. And, but it was an urban legend. Oh, was that you? That was always me. <laughs> Dolene. <laughs> but but it, was, it was an urban legend and it was, it was told and it was told or it was forgotten. But now, because it's filmed, it's not an urban legend, it's fact. Yeah. And it ruins the night because as soon as you do something impulsive and silly and funny, it's ruined you. Yeah. It... yeah. So it takes away, what it does is it takes away the freedom to be yourself. You know, to let, mm. we all need to let our hair down occasionally, don't we? Everybody, everybody needs to do something silly and get, you know, people need to... Well, just do something that's a bit out of character, a bit impulsive, a bit silly. That later you think, "Oh my God, what am I doing?" But but at the time, it's fun and it's a laugh and you've had a good time. But as you say, if somebody's captured that on film, or somebody's taken a photograph of you and it's going to use that against you, or use that to make you feel bad or shame you, mm. that's going to inhibit you yeah. greatly. And, and I mean, you know, I, it's funny because I um. I'm going to make a confession now on, on, on this podcast. I, I read Heat magazine okay? oh, no. <laughs> every week I love it. I love it. Because, because I'm so old that I don't keep in touch with these celebrities. So I need Heat magazine to tell me what's going on. <laughs> and I read it and I, and I just look at the pages and I'll be honest with you. Every celebrity virtually looks the same. Mm. They all look perfect. And I just think to myself, I can't imagine what it's like to go out the house worrying whether you've got makeup on or if you're in your gym kit, whether somebody's going to be photo photographing you, because that's not something I worry about. And I never mm. had to, you know, I've never had to worry about it. And I, and I just think the pressure that this kind of stuff creates that you've always got to have this image, this persona that somebody might be taking a photograph of you, mm. or videoing, videoing you. I can't imagine what it's like to live under that pressure, because how can you be you when you've got to live under that pressure? And, I, and again, mm. I go back to my previous statement. It affects men as well. If if all if you've always got to be aware that you're perfectly groomed, you know your beard is trimmed, your hair is combed, your clothes mm. are right. It's pressure. It's pressure all the time. Nobody can ever just relax and think, oh well, I'm just popping out for a pint of milk. 
no, no, because somebody might take a photograph. Or if I'm in a pub, I can't do this. Mm. Somebody might take a photograph. It's a real shame that we're, we're just not allowed to be ourselves and let go occasionally, really, without fear. Again, we go back to the theme of fear, don't we? Mm. Without fear that somebody will capture that and potentially use it against us. And I just think, really, is that is that where we're going with society now? What a shame. What a shame. But I think like we're talking about fear. And let's talk about now going back to like your, your job roles. Let's say the norm, normally the port of call is either going to see a GP, 111, or once we start getting further down the ladder, a crisis call. But let's say we go down the GP route. And let's say it's not um, seeing things or hearing things. Let's go to probably the most, and you'll tell me if I'm wrong, the most common things of come in mental health is anxiety and depression. Is that right, Doc? Yeah. Yeah, very common, yeah. And so I come in saying, um, I, I've suffered with panic attacks so long, I've gone to hypnotherapists and all this. They're a lot better now. I have my propanol in my pocket in case I'm about to have a wobble. Um, but sometimes those who haven't had uh, panic attacks or uh, anxiety attacks, I'll, I'll walk you through how I have them. I'll, I'll be there and I can't swallow. I feel like I can't swallow, and I used to have, so my, my face would go numb here, and I'd, I'd, I'd feel like I was going to fall forwards, I felt like I was going to pass out, and I, I felt like I was having a stroke, I honestly felt like I was having a stroke, and even now, I'll go, it's an anxiety attack, but I'm going to care about it, if all them were anxiety attacks, and this one is a stroke, and when you talk about this to people, like, because at that time, you feel like you're going to die, you really do, and mm. then, I, I know now, because I do my tapping, I have my breathing exercises, but when I'm having a wobble, even to this day, I have I have one of my tablets, and it's probably a bit of a placebo, but I have one just to, it'll pass, it'll pass, don't worry, it'll be all right. And the world's worst is when I, in, in lockdowns, when my wife was working upstairs and I had my daughter, and I'd have a wobble around my daughter, because then I couldn't hide anywhere, so I had to really try and ride the ball. So to anyone out there, it's natural, it's okay. And I talk to boxers, bricklayers, uh, doormen, bodyguards, it's very common. It is very common. What would you tell someone, uh, Dr. Lewis, if someone goes in with these, uh, these anxiety attacks? Well, I think the first thing to say is that they are common. I think the second thing to say is that you you aren't going to die. You, you will feel that you're going to die, but you're yeah. not. Yeah. Yeah. And the third thing I would say is that you can learn techniques with medication to try and manage them. Not necessarily cure them, but manage them. So you can recognise the triggers, you can recognise your own symptoms, you can learn techniques to try and calm you down. Um, and, and, and they are common. People, a lot of people have panic attacks, anxiety attacks, palpitations, you know. And, and, it, and it, it's one of these things that you can learn to deal with or learn to calm down. But it's about, it's like everything else, isn't it? It's about like a diabetic patient learning to deal with how to, to deal with their own uh, hypoglycemia their blood sugar dropping they, they learn the signs the symptoms they learn how to deal with it it's the same with the panic attack disorder you learn your signs your symptoms your triggers and how you can manage that so you can you know get yourself through it and come out the other side and think okay well i've managed that and we'll wait and see what happens you know if i have another one and 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 I think that's that's what I would say to my patients is it, it's something that you can recognise, manage, and deal with, basically. And do you do you find sometimes do you find sometimes that we sorry I can hear myself there. 
Oh, yeah, that's better. Sometimes you feel like we overuse words. Like, I'm feeling anxious. I've, I've got my GCSEs, I'm feeling anxious. Or I've got a boxing match. It's like, I feel nervous. That's what they mean. Or I'm feeling depressed. My um, uh, lead didn't buy me a pint, so I'm feeling depressed. Or I, uh, I, I, I did a washing up, so I've got OCD. Do you feel like people just overuse words and it dilutes them into them not really having the meaning anymore? Well, I think it goes back to my previous comment, isn't it, about when people say, I've got a touch of the flu. Hmm. No, you haven't. You've either got the influenza or you've got a cold, a viral infection. But we've, but we've, we've recognised that that's in common usage, isn't it? And I think the answer to your question is yes. I think, I think the use of language um, is different for every different individual. And I think, you know, you, you, we can overuse certain words. We, we don't necessarily mean them in their true sense. We don't necessarily mean that we're depressed. We don't necessarily mean that we're anxious. But what we're feeling is normal human emotions. And that's how we're vocalising how we feel, because that's what individuals may perceive that they feel. But I do worry sometimes, yes, that, that we do overuse certain words. And then, as you quite rightly point out, that then dilutes their meaning, because it, it basically means that if, if everybody's using those words all the time, then it, it, it you know it sort of just becomes oh yeah that's fine you, you've just got a bit of anxiety or a bit of depression but actually that takes away from patients who do truly have those illnesses and need help with those illnesses and treatment for those illnesses and i do think sometimes we could be more mindful of our use of language around mental health issues really because that mental health problems are different to normal human emotions and it's like going back to what I said earlier about the difference between stress and distress. You know, you, you have to be quite careful, I think. And we all have a responsibility as individuals to be a bit more careful about the way we use language because it can be misconstrued and it can offend people without even knowing that it's you're offending people because you're using language quite sort of in a laid back way actually have quite an impact on somebody else. You don't mean it, but that's what you're doing. Elizabeth, I'll keep hearing you say yes. Do you, do you agree with that? Yeah, I I I, to I totally agree. Um, I don't have anything else to add on what she said, but I think it's something that I noticed because I am on social media, I am on TikTok, and um, you see it especially a lot on TikTok, especially with the younger generations, um, with the use of the language of like anxiety, depression, and even like more complex, um, more c complex or like severe um, mental health. Um, issues when it comes to like bipolar personality disorder so things like that you do see people do use it um, loosely and sometimes you do see people who are not actually struggling with these conditions do for some type of way they do get offended because people don't really understand their struggle and when people use it um, loosely they take some offense which is which is to be expected so yeah I definitely support what doctor's saying I think one of the big ones for me is OCD. Um, there's a lot of yeah. people because they, they, they like their house tidy or like these things tidy. Oh, you've yeah. got OCD. And we're very lucky to have one of my good friends on here called Steve Hansel, and he explained OCD. He has OCD himself, and he explained what actually goes through his mind if he doesn't flip that light switch off. And it's it's quite terrifying, really, that where, where your mind can take you it, because you're not turning this light switch off. You know, before we know it, if he hasn't done that three times, it, his mom's dying in his mind. And you, that's mm. that's mad. And people use these terms. And well, now you've got OCD too, because you because you like your house tidy. It's um, 
it needs people more people like Steve going on onto these platforms and really explaining what it is and and how it affects his life. Yeah. I, think a, I think there's a balance to strike, isn't there? Between as we started off this podcast, we were talking about the value of people being more willing and more open in speaking about their mental health and their issues. But the flip side of that is not to kind of devalue those clinical presentations like genuine OCD, which you just talked about, about an anxiety disorder and about a depressive illness. And people do sometimes throw those terms around quite casually. And I think it's, it's important to make the distinction between those clinical illnesses and normal human experiences. Yeah, I suppose in a sense as well, John, it's quite, even though they are throwing it around, at least it is being thrown around and talked about because if you go back 10 years, they wouldn't have wanted to throw that word around as if they, they had that condition. Yeah, yeah I, I, I was thinking about how to what to say about this because it's a bit of a fine line, isn't it? I, I would never want to discourage anyone from being open about mental health and, and, and about any difficulties they're having. But at the same time, I think I think it's important to recognise that the that we are talking about some clinical diagnosable conditions, as opposed to normal human experiences, and they're they're not the same thing. Yeah. Would you say, John, in your field, would you say since the madness, you've had a, a bigger influx of yeah. patients, or has it been rather steady? Since the what? Sorry. The madness, COVID madness. Um, I, 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 I think there's definitely, I, I think COVID had an effect and I think it was quite a delayed effect for a lot of people and it was a slow burn build up of stress. And in some, and in some respects, we're, we're seeing the fallout from that now. Um, I, working in mental health services, Frankly, in whatever area I've worked in, whether that's in inpatients or as a community nurse or the job I do now, um, there's always been more demand than there is capacity. So there's always more people seeking help for their mental health issues than there's capacity to give them in truth. We we need to be funding it more, don't we? Because this drove me mad in in the pandemic when we built the Nightingale Hospital and we did this, we did... But there wasn't any extra beds put in bushy fields, and there wasn't more help in the community. I feel like we we need to be throwing more money at this because it. it we, we me and Lee have unfortunately had to find the crisis numbers, and um, we've been let down every time because the police. And I'm not knocking the old bill. I'm not knocking our bobbies, but they're not trained for this. We need more triage teams out there. Because when someone is having a manic episode, they are petrified. They're frightened. And when you're frightened, you you either run, you swing, you cry. you. So we need people like yourselves, caring people. Have the two bobbies at the back or whatever to keep you safe. And then have kind people who know what they're on about to try and convince them into coming into the ambulance and then go into the services. Yeah. When you try and strong arm them, it doesn't have the first good impression and once you've lost that good impression of a caring environment it's hard to engage with the patient i imagine i think i think the the, 
the framework of services, if you like, the structure is there. Um, they're just not adequately staffed. Mm. Um, the, the resources aren't there. And I, I've never worked in any of the teams I've worked in where we've, where we've felt comfortable to manage the caseload that we've got. We're always really overstretched. And, and that's a tragedy, isn't it? Because it's lives. It's like my, one of my good friends is a nurse on the strokes ward. And there was one night a couple of years ago where she was the only nurse on that ward. And then obviously people are having accidents. People are, you know, but, but she, uh, her head was on the guillotine because she was the nurse there, but she was trying to do five people's jobs. Mm. And unfortunately, the one, when one person is trying to do five people's jobs, mistakes happen. But when that's you or your partner or your mother, your father, your grandparent, you want to blame because you want that person to have the best treatment possible, don't you? Absolutely, and you hit the hit it on the head there. It's people's lives we're talking about. And when it's, um, I feel suicidal. Well, have you tried to take someone else's life? Have you tried to take your own life? No, but I know I'm on the brink of doing it. Well, come back when you have, or you're not poorly enough to go into the system, and you're thinking, blooming heck, man. What did we? What, I don't know all the answers, but I, I feel like we need to be throwing more money at it because this is a pandemic we can solve, and I feel like we've got to be doing a better job. Not not us guys here, but the higher ups have got to be funding it so we can get more people there to be putting out the fire before they turn into full blown blazes. Well, I think the, I think the analogy that I would use, and we've talked about this a lot as a, in our mental in our mental health work, is that we we need to stop waiting for people to fall into the deep end and drown. Yes, we need we need to be better at recognising them yeah. before they fall in. Um, I I would slightly disagree with you that money isn't always the answer to all these things, because. At the moment, even if you pour money into it, unfortunately, there aren't a lot of mental health workers out there on the ground. So you can pour all the money that you want in. But if the staff aren't there and trained to do the roles, that ain't going to make a difference. Yeah. Um, so money isn't the answer to everything. What, what I think we need to be better at is better managing the crisis. Mm -hmm. So when people do present in crisis, we are there. We are there to catch them. We are there to help them. But we also need to be better at enabling the public, our patients, our friends, our family, our colleagues to recognise when they're struggling and ask for help mm. earlier. So instead of them falling in, drowning and getting half sort of shoved out at the deep end, bedraggled and, and already in crisis, let's be better at recognising them before they fall in. Let's be better at detecting that. Let's be better at saying, do you need some help? I'm here to help you. I, I wonder sometimes whether money is the answer to all that. I don't necessarily think it is. But, I mean, for example, in Dudley now, a lot of our practices are trained in mental health awareness, mm. mental health first aid. And to me, that's far more valuable, having our reception team, front of house team trained, who are answering our phones every day, trained in, in picking up the signs, picking up the distress. That, to me, as a GP, is, more, is probably more valuable than just mm. saying, well, let's just throw another million pound yeah. at it. Because to me, sometimes that's not always the answer. I, I, I don't mean that, that there isn't underfunding. There is. There's always underfunding. 
but sometimes it's not it's not about how you pay for it it's how you design the services that causes that that helps people well two things there because I, I i keep saying i'd like a, a halfway house with bushy fields so you're not you're not severe enough to be on the ward but you've got somewhere in between where you've got like on on call so you've got a nurse there on call saying like um nurse lee i'm, I'm having a wobble I, I, i'm free to go out i'm free to have a life but i've still got nurse cadman there to have a chat with me do, what do you think about that john like a halfway house in between your home and bushy fields being sectioned great idea um if we could have that facility for people to have almost like a place of safety that they can that they can self refer to access that i think that would be really good i mean we have 24-hour cover in in this area throughout well throughout the black country um for, with mental health crisis teams who who are um working 24 hours a day um but again you know we come back to the reality of the situation is they they can be a bit thin on the ground that's the truth uh, and i think if such a facility that you've uh suggested were available then that could be really valuable for people even if it was like caravan like 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 you know i mean like little caravans but you know like you know and there was someone 24 hours a day where you could go nurse cadman i'm having a turn or and nurse cadman could also pop around and go look kev you've been doing so well if you had your tablets you're allowed to go out you know it's up to you but you know what if you don't have your tablets and you've got to go back in like a well, yeah I, I mean I'm, the details of how it would be managed and staffed i suppose we, we would have to look at in some more detail but i think in principle and on, on, a, on a wider scale the more facilities that we have to help people who are at varying stages of mental health distress whether that's coming and seeing me at the gp surgery or seeing dr lewis or seeing Elizabeth for psychological help, right up to people who need to be admitted to hospital, then the more facilities throughout that spectrum that we can provide that are tailored to what people actually need, then then the better. And Elizabeth, a question for you, because me and Lee have been talking about this for, for years now, and we always think, if we could be talking about mental health in kids' language in primary school, and get people to talk about the feelings. Like my daughter's six coming seven. She's in year two. And I'm always talking to her about empathy and feelings. And it's okay to be upset. And But if we could have children expressing their feelings of, Kevin, why, why do you keep hitting people? Or Kevin, why do you keep crying? Or Kevin, why are you sure? And if we got children to have like a counsellor, a school counsellor, that had to check up in with every month. And they, because I believe at 20, 30, 40, I'm plastering over the cracks, but if I could build the wall properly in the first place, maybe I'd have a better chance of, you know, the good foundations in a sense. What yeah. do you think, Elizabeth? I, you're totally spot on. And I think that's also part of like my, my vision. Um, and something that I do always like to ask a lot of young people, at, especially when it comes to like colleges or schools. And these are just people that interact with, whether it's within my working 
people that I see within um, the patients that I see or people that I just know is whether they have a school counsellor, a, med- um, a mental health practitioner within the school, because I think we we know now that a lot of young people do experience mental health um and when they don't have that understanding of what it is or don't have that space or that they don't have the tools and techniques to um to manage their mental health a lot of them will be left to their own devices a lot of them will kind of figure things out by themselves until it gets onto maybe their later 20s or early 30s and then they'll be like oh that's when i go um that's when I would go seek out for help. But I do, I do believe that every school, every college should have a mental health practitioner on board to be able to educate them, to raise awareness, to help them, um, teach them about um, about signs or just kind of just normalize um, mental health amongst their peers. Or if you notice things that um, you see within your friends, um, what could you say to them where could you signpost them as well and and um and it's, it doesn't have to be very kind of like um um like very formal it, you can be very creative like we're in a world now where social media you can you can be so creative how you deliver um topics and conversations around mental health i even said like with with children you can do things around role playing using things around like um emojis using like the smiley faces and asking them just simple questions of what they think it is um correcting them where they where where they're unsure and just kind of observing um the the language or the understanding of like little children i think once things are like that are put in place we you will definitely see a difference. You will definitely see a difference. A lot of a lot of young people do they do want these things, but for one reason or another, it's not being given to them within the environment of the education. I like empathy teaching children. Yeah, um, kindness. It, yeah, I mean, blooming kindness is the most natural thing in the world. If yeah, if you're from <laughs> kindness, it's like it's like. But how am I supposed to teach my children if I was never taught it? So I think it's up to teachers, coaches, senseis, whatever your, you know, your your elders to teach you the power of kindness, the power of understanding. Well, you know, if I said that to you, how would that make you feel? Would that make me sad? Would that make I'd want to punch your head in? Well, you saying that to him or her. How, how do you think, oh, blooming heck, I never thought about that. But if you can explain it to a child, then a child is easier to teach than a grown-up. A grown-up has had his whole life to enforce mm. the values that it's um, survived on. But if we could teach children young enough, kindness is cool and feelings matter. And sometimes you're going to be happy, sometimes you're going to be sad. But that's just a human journey. Mm. But if we can get them when they're young, I think, and that's not like saying about suicide and did it, mm. all the the, the 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 very drastic end results but just talking about feelings mm. and how it how it makes others feel do you agree with that yeah i i definitely agree but i i do also believe there is also hope for like parents adults to oh, yes. be able to be that part of that process of unlearning because the reality is that teachers have a lot of responsibility enough um, teachers play multiple roles um, naturally um, 
um, they play, the, they'd be a teacher, their counsellor, they could be part of um, welfare team. So they play naturally a lot of roles. I do, I do believe there is that responsibility of parents to, to be on that journey with their child to teach about kindness, about empathy, because you both win if, if you guys are on that journey, because the reality is a child can go to school, learn all these things, come back and tell you about it, and then you can just dismiss what they say, and then that child doesn't, that child can be in a state of like, okay, I've come and told my dad and my mom about this, and they've kind of brushed it off. They may not understand at such an early age, but if that if that's being portrayed in the household, that could, it can be very unhelpful. So I think it, in the way it, it can, it, it will be good if it's a joint effort. It's what I'm trying to say. Hundred um, million percent. I mean, I see. And even it just reflecting on yourself, how? I, I have it. I have it up here. Like so much, you'll have a kid for three hours, but the parent has them for twenty odd hours yeah. a day. But should there be courses then? To I mean, but my, my friend always says in life, you've got two choices: make changes or make excuses. But it's a lot easier to make excuses mm. than it is to make changes. I think once you're willing to make changes, then you know the world's your oyster. But it's so easy to blame everyone else for your down, your downfall, than to step up to the mark and go. The world can't. Everyone can't be wrong all the time. Maybe yeah. I'm the problem. Maybe I'm the only one that's holding me back. Yeah, but I think I think going back to you because you mentioned about courses. I think it doesn't. I think it doesn't necessarily have to be so formal. Mental health is so broad, and you can you can go from the mild to the extreme. I think it goes from your day to day life your day-to-day -day life things about um self-care setting boundaries um mm. being being open to express your feeling learn how to stand up for yourself because all of these um different elements do play a part to someone's mental health their identity um knowing their worth so it, it doesn't necessarily have to you know be on very clinical it can just be basic things but the things around that, um, if, if children, if children, young people are taught at a young age, it can help them um, as they get older. Like I remember when I was in school, I was never taught about money and the, the, um, never taught about finances. So, so many things that would have been helpful that I've, I've had to learn as I've gotten older, as an, as an adult. So things around just general life situations and how people can kind of just manage and navigate um things around that then um we could just do more even common things that is done school like bullying so looking at the things i know there's a there's a big push when it comes to bullying mental health so that is something that is it is very very powerful powerful but more can be done um around self-care having your mental toolkit what do you use to manage stress um, is it your friends? Is it your talent? Is it is it education? Is it you know going for a walk? Is it having an after school club? It could be so many things, but things like that does need to be talked about in schools. Self worth. John, did you want to say something? Yeah, I was just thinking as Elizabeth was talking, we we all have a responsibility to ourselves. That self care that Elizabeth just mentioned, and we also have a responsibility to our fellow human beings, mm. and that that applies to our kids and our colleagues and our families and our friends and people we encounter in day to day life. I think we could all do with being a bit kinder and a bit gentler to each other, 
the world can be quite an aggressive confrontational place too often and i think if we if we all took a step back sometimes and thought about the impact that we have on other people we could make make the world uh, an easier place and and this loops back to our mental health conversation doesn't it if we were all a bit nicer to each other uh, and we looked after ourselves and and one another then then maybe we'd have a few less problems than we do now i'll tell you a quick story on that me and my mom were coming up the gym coming through um by the dell stadium and there's a lady and she broke down and there was all cars all behind her and this woman had got out of a car and she's sobbing and they're all beeping the car beeping 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 i jumped out the car my mom's car run across i started pushing the car I said, come on, love, get in the car. I started pushing it. Then the guy behind us who's beeping the car realised, oh, yeah, that's an option. I can help. I started pushing the car. He got out the car. He pushed the car. Because we moved the car out the way, the traffic moved. All it took was one person to do a random act of kindness for the traffic to move. But everyone was rather happy sitting there beeping, going, come on, you silly cow, move your car. And the woman's crying. All it took was a bit of kindness and everyone else's lives just move smoothly. Isn't that quite a powerful metaphor for life? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's easier to show some. It's easier to show some ball than to help. Sorry. There's a campaign in the NHS. My my husband is a GP. And there's a campaign in the NHS that he has at the bottom of his email, and it's called "Civility Saves Lives." When you're rude to people, you shut down their cognitive functioning by about 40 to 50 percent. So if you can maintain civility, you get productivity out of people and you get the best out of them, whether that's in a crisis situation or not. But that is, I think, I mean, I, I have to be honest, I have to really have to go now, unfortunately. But I think my, my final parting message would be out of all this, civility saves lives and be kind. Well, I always, I'm glad you said that because I always like to, we're going to end the show now, and I always like to say, uh, get each one of you to say a quote that helps you get through lives. That's a wonderful quote to leave us on. John, have you got any quotes or sayings that helps you get through life? Um, look after yourself, look after others. Elizabeth, have you got any quotes or sayings? I do, but not on top of, uh, not have it written down um it's never too late to start again well to all three of you thank you so much for coming on so guys i hope everyone's enjoyed listening to it as always so until we see each other next time when you're to take care of yourselves and each other tarara bit listen listen and that's a wrap for another show but if there are any comments or messages that you'd like us to read out for our next podcast, please be in touch. There are also lots of different organisations at the bottom of this page and hopefully they can help you or someone you care about. Please share this to spread the word. Until we talk next time, ta a bit. Listen.